Welcome to Shelter in Place, a podcast about finding daily sanity in a world that feels increasingly insane. Coming to you from Oakland, California, I'm Laura Joyce Davis. Earlier this week, I reposted the following quote by Tatiana Mack on social media. White people, we got to talk about burnout. You aren't conditioned to be thinking about race this much because of your privilege. We need you to do all you're doing today, tomorrow, and until the end of time. Let's talk about ways to focus on current and systematic change. Tatiana Mack describes herself as an engineer who codes, a writer who reads, a speaker who listens. She's an international keynote speaker who focuses on accessibility, design systems, performance, and inclusion, with a strong call to action for ethical practices. She's been thinking about the world differently for a long time, and she's got a vision for how things could be that you don't hear every day. I reached out to Tatiana to ask permission to quote her post in an episode. She sent me a nice note saying it was fine to quote her, and then she made a quick note about my tagline, finding daily sanity in a world that feels increasingly insane. She said that the words sanity and insanity are often used for hyperbole and have quite a history. She said, I imagine you might not have known this. It's also possible that you're taking back the term. Regardless, I wanted to make sure you were aware just in case you were not. She also included her own definition of the adjacent term sanity check from her dictionary, Self-Defined. Tatiana describes self-defined as a modern dictionary about us. We define our words, but they don't define us. As a word geek who has loved language all my life, I'm fascinated by the way words often hold so much more meaning than we intend or even understand. I'm equally fascinated by how differently we can experience this world, depending on our circumstances and experiences. One of the first people who taught me this was Robert Arnold Augustus. Robert grew up deaf in a hearing family. He was born in 1960, but he says he was not truly born until he was nine when he attended the school for the deaf. For the first time, he saw people like him, people who understood his experience. He began to understand that there was beauty in the way that he experienced life that hearing people had no idea about. I met Robert 15 years ago. A friend of mine who is a dancer told me a story about her deaf friend who wanted to learn to dance to music and how she taught him to dance to the beat of his pulse. That friend was Robert. The anecdote inspired the fiction I was working on at the time. And so my friend introduced me to Robert, who guided me through a year of research and learning as I took classes in American Sign Language and Deaf Culture and read a shelf of books about Deaf history and found in Robert a true friend. Robert is a remarkable person, a teacher and an author who invented a written script of ASL that gave Deaf people a written language that more closely resembled signing. He gifted me with the first version of his book about his ASL script, and it's a marvel. Robert did a TEDx talk about it, which I'll include in my show notes. Robert opened my eyes to deaf culture, a community of people who take pride in their deafness, who spell deaf with a capital D, who understand that what others have seen as a disability is, in fact, a gift. 
Though I will never know what it's like to be deaf, I feel a certain reverence and awe for deaf culture. I'm grateful to people like Robert who keep it alive. I'm thankful for how graciously Robert taught me that my own experience was just one way to exist in this world. I feel a similar gratitude to Tatiana today. She's pushing me to expand my definition of normal or ditch it altogether. She's promoting a more inclusive and celebratory way to see the world, one where we can appreciate that our challenges and differences might also be our greatest strengths. Tatiana's response came on the heels of Monday's episode. That was episode 68, if you missed it, which is all about embracing difference instead of seeing it as something bad. Well, I do think the original post that prompted me to reach out to Tatiana is one that deserves consideration. It was the idea of redefining language and sanity specifically that ultimately provided the creative spark for this episode. It was humbling to realize that my tagline might be sending a message I didn't intend. Tatiana says that when we use sanity, which is an assessment of a person's neurological status, a medical condition that largely can't be changed, carelessly, or even insanity, to describe something that is bad, we reinforce a system that excludes mentally ill and disabled people, reinforcing negative biases against them and making unsafe places for them to work and to be. She suggests being more specific with our language or finding an alternate definition that doesn't unintentionally exclude or harm those with mental or psychological disabilities. If you've been listening from the beginning, then you know that I've talked openly about mental illness, not just the idea of it, but about my own experiences of depression. I know that mental illness is still stigmatized in our world, and I hope that sharing my own struggles can help to change that. I know very few people who have not experienced anxiety, depression, or some other form of mental illness at some point in their lives. It still baffles me, especially every time there's another mass shooting, that we haven't, as a nation, written mental health services into our healthcare system as a necessary, essential service for all. I've had seasons of my own life where my search for sanity was not hyperbole, but a very literal fight for survival. When I created the tagline for this show, I didn't think through all the nuances and implications of using the words sanity and insane. The idea for this podcast came to me mere hours before the first episode launched. It was a fly-by-the-seat-of-my-pants project of the moment, one I never thought I'd still be doing three months later. But when my husband Nate encouraged me to take the leap and do this project the night before we began sheltering in place— He did so because he knew that I wouldn't last long in this pandemic world if the only thing I had to show up for every day was my kids. I love my children with a wild, abandoned love, but parenting often discourages and overwhelms me. I've had to learn about myself that writing isn't just something I do because I enjoy it. It's a lifeline, the way I put all of those big, heavy feelings to work. This was a project that would force me to do that daily. One of the most significant moments in my adult life was when I realized that the very things that made me prone to depression, my intensity, my vulnerability, and my willingness to face hard things, were also some of the best things I had to offer in both my writing and my relationships. But even if those struggles weren't producing good things, it doesn't change my value as a human being. 
The brain chemistry I inherited doesn't make me less of a person. It just means that I occupy this space a little differently. It was only when I began to understand this truth that I was able to accept myself as I was and stop feeling so much shame over my continued struggle. This is not to say that I haven't gone to counseling or taken antidepressants or learned to do self-compassion and meditation exercises. My life is a lot better because of these tools, and I still use many of them today. But embracing my struggle as one that could even at times be a gift, both to myself and others, has helped me to redefine what it means to search for daily sanity. And this is an area where I am trying to give myself and others a lot of grace, because language can be tricky. And I suspect that this reclaiming will not be a one-time thing, but a process that evolves and changes, even as I evolve and change with it. Tatiana said, to put a finer point on reclaiming terms, what I always tell folks is this, you're able to reclaim the terms, and that's a valid way of retaking and reclaiming power. However, much of the time, folks won't know about your context, and it's quite frankly not their business unless you deem it so. The decision to reclaim words is not one we should make lightly. Folks might see your reclaiming as permission to use it themselves, many of whom aren't then reclaiming but just abusing. Other folks who also experience mental illness may also still be negatively impacted by your words as well. None of this is to say you can't. It is, however, a reminder that all our choices have consequences. I appreciate Tatiana's words and warning because it reminds me that words do matter. I've been on the receiving end of people speaking carelessly about mental health, and I know the shame and isolation those comments can cause, even if they weren't meant that way. I don't take my own decision to reclaim sanity lightly. I hope that those who experience mental illness will hear in my words that I stand with them. Long before my exchange with Tatiana, I'd been working with our shelter-in-place team on a manifesto of what daily sanity means. It'll be on my website soon to give listeners some context for the nuances and emotional range they'll find in episodes. Here's what we've got so far. On the surface, sanity can be defined as the ability to behave in a normal and rational manner, sound mental health. But as this time has gone by, and as we've explored many aspects of life while sheltering in place, I've realized that the search for sanity is much richer and more complex. Twelve themes have emerged, and you'll find all of them in the episodes, though not all at once. One, authenticity. To be sane is to be genuine. This is my rawness and vulnerability, my defining trait that either draws people in or pushes them away. Nothing communicates love to me like a friend, relative, or neighbor seeing me at my worst and sticking around anyway. Such acceptance is the ultimate gift one can give in a relationship, and it's what I strive to give my listeners in every episode. Two, courage. To be sane is to face up to the hard things, whether with family, friends, or society. It means having the humility to admit that sometimes we get it wrong and then choosing to do the hard work of repair, both personally and globally. 
three, creativity. Creativity is an essential part of our humanity, and it is a powerful way to make something beautiful from our pain. For me, it mostly takes the form of writing, but it could just as easily be building a business, a bookshelf, or a family. The creative process can teach us how to move from curiosity instead of holding ourselves to an unrealistic standard of perfection. Four, faith. We all have faith in something, that thing that keeps us going when everything around us crumbles. Whether we have found solace in the whisper of the wind through the trees or the breath of a prayer that holds us when we're desperate to be found, faith reminds us that we matter, that our lives can be a gift to others. Five, friendship. If there's anything quarantine has taught me, it's that we're not meant to be alone. Real friendships help us to accept and reframe our ugliest parts as beautiful. They extend to us the grace we need to extend to ourselves. They give us encouragement and a resting place when we don't have the energy to keep going. Six, growth. Sanity means moving toward a more sustainable existence and learning to accept all the parts of yourself even as you push yourself to grow. It means doing the hard work of transformation out in the world even as you do it in yourself. 7. Touch During this time of quarantine, we no longer take for granted handshakes and hugs from friends. Moving forward, we need a way to find these tangible connections with others without endangering each other's health and well-being. 8. Safety There's a reason Maslow put safety near the bottom of his hierarchy of needs. If we aren't safe, we can't even begin considering higher-order aspects of life like creativity, friendship, or growth. Many in our world do not feel physically safe. My daily search for sanity envisions a safer world for all and provides a safe place to work through the emotions that can be stirred up from these changes. 9. Lament Experiencing the fullness of humanity means pausing life's pace, acknowledging what has been lost, and grieving it in its due. There is a time for action and problem-solving, and also a time to sit with the knowledge that we live in a broken world, that things are not as they should be. 10. Laughter Laughter is a necessary release valve from grief. It's the invitation to silliness, the gift of levity, of delight. It doesn't always make sense. Sometimes it's downright absurd. Often, we have to go looking for it. 11. Rest Many of us have lost jobs, canceled travel, and cleared out schedules. And yet, true physical, psychological, mental, and spiritual rest has been hard to find during this quarantine. One of our great challenges is figuring out how to preserve and prioritize rest for ourselves and for our planet even when our circumstances are less than ideal. 12. Hope If there's one thing that connects all of the episodes of this show, it's a persistent hope for a better future. This is not mere fanciful dreaming. It's a hard look at reality that acknowledges pain, suffering, and injustice. It's choosing to bend toward hope anyway.
and all of these daily quests for sanity, I hope the feeling you come away with is the one you get sitting with a friend over a cup of coffee. The kind of friend who doesn't try to solve your problems, but who can remind you that you matter. The friend who has seen you at your worst and loves you more because of it. The daily sanity I'm finding today that I hope you'll embrace with me is that just as our understanding of words can grow and evolve, we can grow and evolve too. As Tatiana said, we have to figure out how to be in this for the long haul, how to not burn out. That's true of fighting racism, and it's true of finding daily sanity. It's going to look different depending on the day. Sometimes we're going to need to ask for help to do it. We're going to have to figure out how to hold all these pieces together to remember that sanity is never just one thing, that even insanity has its gifts to offer us. In an effort to make this episode available to all, I'm including a transcript in the show notes. It's something Tatiana asked me to do, something I've been meaning to do for a very long time. Robert and I even talked early on about him making ASL versions on video of some of the episodes. It might take me some time, but eventually I'll get transcripts up for all of the other episodes as well. In the meantime, thanks for being on this journey with me of not just finding daily sanity, but redefining and reclaiming what that means and expanding our definition as we grow and change together. If you found today's episode meaningful, I hope you'll subscribe wherever you listen and share it with a friend. If you listen on iTunes or another platform that allows you to rate and review, leaving a quick note about what you appreciate about the show helps others find us and moves us a little closer to being able to make this work sustainable, not just now, but in the future. As always, you can find show notes for today's episode at laurajoycedavis.com. Shelter in Place is proud to be sponsored by Brick and Mortar, old world style wines with California roots. Their bottled wines can be found at Michelin starred restaurants like the French Laundry in Meadowood, and you can find their canned wines at Safeway stores in Northern California. You can also order their wines online at brickandmortarwines.com. Use the code SHELTER to get 10% off and support this show. The Shelter in Place music was created by Chase Horseman at Reactor Productions. Tamara Kemsley is our associate producer. Nate Davis is our creative director. And Sarah Edgel is our design director. Until tomorrow... This is Shelter in Place. I'm Laura Joyce Davis.